Mark chapter 2. Let's stand together, please, for the reading of the scripture. And, and um, look with me, if you would, at verse 18. We're following, as I said, through the, through the gospel of Mark. And we're in the second chapter. Verse 18. As I read through this verse, make note of the references to the word disciple. And the disciples of John and of the Pharisees used to fast. And they came and said... They come and say unto him, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but thy disciples fast not? Now this lesson is not about discipleship. But here we see references to disciples. In this one verse, we see the references to the disciples of John the Baptist. He had those who followed his teaching, and they were learning from him. Then we see also reference to the disciples of the Pharisees. The Pharisees, a very self-righteous group of people, they had their own followers who were learning from them. And then we have the disciples of Jesus. And sometimes people just think the word disciple means a committed follower of Jesus. The disciple is a learner. A disciple is someone who is being instructed, being taught, they're a pupil. And in this text, the disciples of John the Baptist and the disciples of the Pharisees wanted to know why the disciples of Jesus were not fasting as they did. That's the text in verse 18. Why the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but thy disciples fast not. And Jesus said unto them in verse 19, Can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Bless today as we give our attention to the word of God. We come before you and we come before your word with respect, with reverence, with a desire to learn. We don't want to come with these um, apprehensions or these self-made parameters that uh, would hinder us from hearing what you have for us today. We want to learn today. We want to be disciples, followers of Christ. So teach us. Help us to grow together. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now I'm going to get into the question that they asked Jesus about the subject of fasting. But the, before I do that, I just want to say a few words about this matter of dealing with questions. Because Jesus dealt with questions all the time. Here they are asking a question. And if, if we were to look at the, just the chapter we're in, chapter 2, chapter 2 begins with Jesus healing a paralyzed man. And, and when he was dealing with this man, look in chapter 2 and verse 6, there were, there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Here's the question. Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? They're questioning Jesus being able to forgive sins. If you look in verse 16 of the same chapter, it says, And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? So now they're questioning his disciples about those that Jesus would associate 
with. As we said here in verse 18, they're asking questions about fasting. If you go a little further into the chapter, in verse 24 it says, And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? Do you, do you see a pattern here? People asking questions, questioning the Lord. And as his disciples, they were being questioned. And it's a reminder to us as disciples that we have to deal with questions. People have questions. And some of those questions are sincere. They, people want to learn. And as a, as a disciple myself, there's nothing more encouraging to me than for someone to have sincere, honest questions. What about this? Can you show me about this? Why do we believe that? And that's always encouraging. And that's a good thing. The Queen of Sheba, you might remember, traveled a great distance to come to Solomon in the Old Testament because she had questions for him and she brought her questions. So don't be afraid to ask questions. And let's not resist it when people ask us questions. Now, we have to say this, sometimes questions are not sincere and they're just attempts to distract or to deflect from the truth. Often that was the case with Jesus. And we're not going to document that this morning. But people followed him for the specific purpose of finding fault and asking questions or trying to play gotcha with him or to trick him in some way. Matter of fact, Paul, in wisdom, warned Timothy and Titus about being sidetracked by foolish questions. And Paul called them vain and unprofitable. And so sometimes people have sincere questions and you ought to bring those sincere questions to the Lord and to others. And uh, sometimes people give us questions that are sincere and sometimes people ask questions that are foolish questions and we don't want to be distracted by that. So here's the question about fasting in verse 18. And they said, why don't your disciples fast? like the disciples of the Pharisees, or like the disciples of John the Baptist. Why don't your disciples fast? Now we're going to get into this, but you know what my first thought is? How would you know if Jesus' disciples were fasting? Right? I mean, Jesus taught us that we were not to fast to make a show, right? Jesus taught us that we were to fast in secret, give in secret, pray in your closet, But the answer to that is, the Pharisees fasted for to be seen of men. They would disfigure their faces. They wanted people to look at them like they were mourning, like they were sad. You know, some of y'all would even pass for that this morning. No, they looked that way intentionally. But Jesus taught that fasting was private exercise between us and God. So how did Jesus answer the question? Look in verse 19. And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? Now immediately, Jesus introduces as an illustration a wedding party. Now, a wedding party should be a celebratory occasion. It should be a happy occasion, unless you're like me. And you just don't like weddings. But, but aside from that, it should be a happy occasion. And Jesus is talking about this illustration of a wedding party. Verse 19, can the children of the bride chamber fast 
while the bridegroom is with them. As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Why would those in the wedding party fast, Jesus said. By the way, fasting is intended to be a time of chastening of the soul. Even mourning. It ought to be associated with mourning over sin and seeking God. As a matter of fact, Matthew, and we're not going to turn to it, but as Matthew recorded this very incident, this is what Matthew said. Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? And he was saying it's inconsistent with the occasion to be mourning, to be sad. And by the way, Jesus is clearly identifying himself as the bridegroom. Keep in mind, some of these were disciples of John the Baptist. And in the teaching of John the Beloved, in John chapter 3, I believe it is, he t- John the Baptist referred to Jesus as the bridegroom. So these are disciples of John the Baptist. They're probably familiar with that terminology. And so Jesus said, as long as they look in verse 19, while the bridegroom is with them, they cannot fast. But then he says this in verse 20, but the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. One day, Jesus said the bridegroom himself would be taken away. He would be arrested. He would be falsely accused. He would be apprehended. He would be cruelly punished. He would be crucified and he would die. And he says, then they will fast and mourn. Now keep in mind, Jesus is answering this question that the disciples couldn't figure out about the demeanor about the about the way the disciples of Jesus were. And so he he actually goes into verse 21 into another illustration or another parable. Look at this. No man also. Notice the word also I have it circled in my Bible. It means he's continuing his answer. No man also soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment. Else the new piece that filleth it up, filleth it up, filled it up, excuse me, taketh away from the old, and the rent is made worse. Now he's going to talk to them, not about a wedding, but about repairing a garment. About taking an old garment that had a tear in it, and repairing it by sewing a piece of a new cloth, it says in verse 21. A new cloth on an old garment. Now, some of you probably never have seen this happen, but my mother used to do this. If I had a pair of jeans that were torn, uh, she would find another piece of denim and she'd sew that patch on that torn piece of, and my wife has done the same thing. If you got a tear in your britches and she'd sew a piece of uh, cloth on that, and uh, make it, try to repair the tear. It's different now. Now if your jeans have tears, you don't repair them. You sell them for twice as much. (laughs) Right? Things have changed. But the question is, why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you sew a piece of new cloth on an old garment? And the reason is because a new garment has a tendency to shrink. If it hadn't been washed especially, it has a tendency once you wash it, especially if you wash it in hot water, 
to make it shrink. And an old garment is already shrunk. It's already, it's already, it's, it's probably not going to shrink anymore. And maybe you've done this. Maybe you've bought a garment. Maybe, let's just say a cotton t-shirt. You've bought a cotton t-shirt and you only find out that the first time you, first time you wash it, it shrinks. Right? How many of you ever see that happen? And, uh, I'm not talking about the times when it seems like everything in your closet has shrunk. That's, that's something else. That's not exactly what we're talking about. So, so if you take a new, a new piece of cloth, a fabric, and you put it over an old piece of fabric, then when you wash it, then that new piece is going to sh- shrink and it's going to make things work. And worse, and this is what Jesus is teaching them. Jesus didn't come to put a patch on an old thing. He came really to make things new. And, and he fur- further illustrates that in the next verse. Look in verse 22. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine doth burst the bottles, and the wine is spilled, and the bottles will be marred. You lose the, you lose the beverage and you lose the bottle. It's damaged. But new wine must be put into new bottles. And here again, he's giving us an illustration. One of the Gospels, I don't remember if it's Matthew or, or Luke, calls it a parable. And, he's, and it's about putting new wine in old bottles. The same principle, but a different illustration. Why wouldn't you put new wine into an old bottle? And by the way, when we think of bottles, we think of glass jars or glass bottles. But in the days of Jesus, they didn't have that. The containers, bottles, were, were like flasks, if you could use that word. And they were made out of, of uh, leather, out of animal skins. It would, be like, it would be like a canteen, you would think of, except a canteen not made out of metal, but made out of an animal skin. And they would, pour, they would make a flask out of that. And then they would pour their beverage inside of that to take it with them. And when the leather was new, it would easily stretch. It could, be, it could be flexible. But when it was old, it was not flexible. And so if you put even grape juice, uh, which would eventually ferment, and it would begin to ferment, it has a tendency to swell and to stretch the bottle. And when that new wine begins to swell and stretch, then it would burst the old bottles. I was just reading yesterday in the book of Job, of all places. And, and there was a man toward the end of the book of Job whose name is Elihu. Now that's not one of the three miserable comforters that were always, you know, had something spiritual to say to Job. This was a younger man who waited his turn, the Bible says, and then he spoke. But this is how he described his condition. He said that the truth that was in him could not be contained. It's like it was bubbling up inside of him and needed to be shared. He said, and this is a quote, it is ready to burst like new bottles. He said, it's like I've got something I've got to say and it's going to come out and I need to say it. So, so you, do, so putting, you don't put a new wine into old bottles. And again, this is an answer. All these three things are an answer to the question of what is it about your disciples that they're not mourning, they're not fasting, that they're different. 
And Jesus is giving us these illustrations about a wedding, and then about a patch on a garment, and then about putting new wine in old bottles. Verse 22, no man putteth new wine into old bottles. And these disciples were not sorrowful. Please hear me today. The the disciples of Jesus were not sorrowful. They were rejoicing. And the disciples of John and the disciples of the Pharisees could not relate to what they were doing. Now I realize we have burdens. All of us have burdens. We've had many burdens in our church family of late. But as a rule, God's people ought to be happy people. God's people ought to be rejoicing people. And that's the standard. That's the rule. That's the way it ought to be. And these disciples of the Pharisees looked at the disciples of Jesus and they said there's something different about them. They're not like us. And so Jesus used these familiar illustrations, expressions, to really illustrate what the gospel is about, what salvation is about. And for I, I think probably for the Pharisees, they would be content with some of the teachings of Jesus that they consider to be reasonable, they consider to be respectable, even admirable, and they might consider taking that and just adding that to their system of beliefs. But Jesus is telling them, that's not what you do. You don't put an old patch or a new patch on an old pair of jeans, so to speak. And by the way, just just for the record, Brother Moore could identify with this a great deal. In many foreign countries, that's really what people's first response to the gospel is. They have a lot of false beliefs, a lot of false religions. In South Africa, they still worship their ancestors. They still go to see witch doctors. And when you tell them about this gospel of Jesus Christ, the tendency is just to take that new patch and put it on an old garment. But what Jesus is saying, that's not how the gospel works. And that's, and by the way, that's not just relevant for Africa. That's relevant for us today. Jesus Christ is not just a new patch that we put upon an old garment. There, Jesus is not just adding something new to your, your, your cultural, traditional beliefs. Let me, t- let me uh, give you a quote from Luke's gospel as Luke is giving us his account of what we're reading about in Mark chapter 2. Hear the, hear the words of Luke. No man putteth a piece of new garment upon an old. The piece that was taken out of the new agreeeth not with the old. Now I want you to emphasize those last few words. Agreeeth not with the old. They don't agree together. That old, that old garment and that new patch do not agree together. That new wine and that old bottle do not agree together. Salvation, again, is not just adding something new to an old life. You know, um, there's a lot of conflict that people sometimes experience in their heart when they're considering the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they're thinking like this. There are certain reforms that I need to make. There are certain improvements that I need to make in my life. I need to be a better husband. I need to be a better 
employee. I need to be a better money manager. I need to control my temper. And so what, what they, they look at the gospel like I want to take some of these new ideas, these reforms, and add them to my life. But they're conflicted. And the reason they're conflicted, I hope you're listening today, is because they're trying to add something new to an old life. And it just doesn't work. They're not agreeable. They cannot agree. When you were to, if you were to take the gospel seriously, if you were to take the commands of Christ seriously, the ways of Christ, the way that Jesus taught us to love others, even our enemies, the way that Jesus taught us that every one of his disciples is to deny their self and take up their cross and follow Jesus, the way that he says every follower of Jesus should have heartfelt obedience. You try to take that and put it on an old life and it's just not going to work. It's just not going to work. To the unconverted heart, these are hard things. To the unconverted heart, denying yourself is a hard thing. To, the, to a person who is born again, to a person who's been made a new creature, he may struggle some with it, but he knows it's for his own good to deny himself. To look himself in the mirror and say, no, I'm not going to let you get by with that. To the unconverted man, he cannot see the reason to do that. He doesn't have a heart for it. And so what Jesus is teaching these guys is, you know, you don't just need a new patch on the garment. You need a new garment. You need a changed life. You know, when you add, you take a person that just gets saved. I'm talking about a brand new Christian, a babe in Christ. By the way, think about this. Peter said, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word. When a person gets born again, they have a heart for the Word of God. They want to know the Bible. They desire the Bible. And yet there's some people who come to church their whole life and still don't ever have an appetite for the Word of God. Still don't have a desire. They may come because somebody puts a guilt trip on them, or mom or dad makes them go, but there's a conflict. And sometimes I believe the conflict is just the flesh. We're yielding to the flesh. But sometimes it's the fact that we're trying to put something new on something that's old, and it just doesn't work. It's like putting new wine into an old bottle. The old bottle is not agreeable with the new wine. If you would have come to me before I got saved and said to me, you know, you're... I know you're thinking about getting saved, but just to let you know, if you really get saved, you know, you're going to be expected to read your Bible every day. You're going to be expected to be in church every time the doors are open. You're going to be expected to give every, out of every dollar you make. You're expected, if you'd have told me all that stuff, I'd have probably said, I don't think I could ever do that. You know what I'm saying? I, don't, I can't see myself doing that. But I, nobody told me that. They tricked me. They just said, you just need to get saved. So I got saved. But you know what? When you get saved, you don't mind giving your money to God. When you get saved, you don't mind being in the house of God. When you get saved, you want to worship God. When you get saved, the best friends you have in the world are the people of God. Because God changes our life. Luke 5 says this. New wine must be put into new bottles. And both are preserved. The new wine of the gospel... The new life of Jesus Christ 
must be put into new bottles. Now, don't miss this. It's not new bottles like we reform and get our lives in order and make sure everything about our life is good. That's not the new bottle. The new bottle is when you get born again, you get a brand new nature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. You have a new heart. God promised this in Ezekiel. He said, I'll take the stony heart out of them and I will put in them a heart of flesh. He changes us from the inside out. And salvation is a new life. A new life that's been put into a new creature. A new vessel, if you would. That's what salvation does. Now I'm not saying... That if you get saved, you're never going to have struggles with the flesh. I didn't say that, and I don't believe that. But I do believe this. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. How many people, how many people have we probably known that tried to add the demands of discipleship to old bottles? And you know what they found? It's incompatible. They don't agree. And you'll find people who think they're saved, who've professed for years they're saved, and yet after many, many years, they still don't agree with the Word of God. They still don't submit to the Word of God. They still don't love the Lord Jesus Christ. They love themselves. They love their own way. They like making their own decisions. They're not following any king but themselves. And it's not, it's not compatible. It's not agreeable. Those two things cannot agree. How can two, as Amos said, walk together unless they be agreed. Now again, we all struggle with our flesh, but I believe this ought to be true of every person that's truly born again, that there's something inside of them that wants to do right. And I don't mean just says I want to do right and they keep on doing it. No, they're grieved when they sin. They're grieved with themselves when they sin. They're disappointed with themselves. They don't give themselves a pass because the Spirit of God lives within them. They want to obey the Lord. They want to please God. Salvation is a new life. Thank God for that. Salvation is a new birth. Salvation is regeneration. It's a spiritual quickening. Quickening means it's been brought from death to life. Salvation brings us from death to life spiritually. Our our spirit is raised from the dead. And when you get saved, the Spirit of God comes to live within you. Aren't you glad about that? This is what Paul said. This is what Paul said. And I believe it ought to be said of every Christian, every true believer. I delight in the law of God after the inward man. There's something inside me that delights after the law of God. I want to do what God wants me to do. Aren't you glad about that? Aren't you glad you don't have to wake up every day and say, oh, whatever it takes today, I'm going to try to love God. (laughs) Whatever it takes today, I'm going to make myself read the Bible. If it kills me, I'm going to make myself read the Bible. Aren't you glad we're not like that? We've been saved by the grace of God. Old things have passed away. All things become new. This is what Paul said in Romans chapter 8. The righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Jesus didn't come to do away with the law. Jesus said, don't don't say that that I came to destroy the law. He said, I came to fulfill the law. 
And the Bible says the righteousness of the law is fulfilled in us who walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. You can't, the, you, the flesh is against God. My flesh doesn't want to do what God wants me to do. But there's a new man inside of me that does. And you could say the same thing. We, we shouldn't pamper the flesh. Amen. Paul said it like this. There is no good thing that dwelleth within me that is within my flesh. Zero. Nada. Nothing. Right? No good thing that dwells within us that is in our flesh. So the disciples of John the Baptist and the disciples of the Pharisees ask the disciples of Jesus, or ask Jesus, why, why don't y'all fast? Why aren't y'all sad? Why aren't y'all mourning? I mean, these disciples walked around just with this gloomy face, you know. Look at me. I love God. Look at me. I'm following the law. Look at me. I'm chastening myself. Look at me. And they said, your disciples aren't like that. Jesus says, it's because we're happy. The bridegroom is still with us, right? The bridegroom was still with them. But he said, the day is going to come. And it did come. When the bridegroom would leave them. And I'm sure mourning and sadness and fasting and seeking God became more a part of their lifestyle. But then he goes on to say, you have to understand, we're not just putting a, a new patch on an old garment. That won't work. It will not work. Young people, listen to me today. If that's all you have is a new patch put on an old garment, no wonder you don't really have a heart for the things of God. Amen? Jesus didn't just come to say, okay, if you'll do, you can still run your own life, but if you'll do this, 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 and this. You, no, no, Jesus said, I want to make you all over because everything about you needs to be made over. <laughs> Amen? You say, well, how do I fix it? You have to come to Jesus Christ in true repentance and faith. Put your faith in Him. Look, I'm, I don't think a person has to jump through a bunch of hoops to get saved. I don't think a person has to make all kinds of promises to get saved, but I'm telling you this, I don't think it's possible to be saved when you come to salvation with the intention that you're going to use salvation to get you to heaven, but you're going to live the rest of your life the way you want to live your life. I don't, people, I don't think that person ever gets saved. And that's how some people come to Jesus. They don't want to go to hell when they die. They don't want to burn in the flames of hell when they die. So they want to ask Jesus to save them, but they have no intention of really following Jesus Christ. You think that ever happens? I think that's why a lot, Brother JC, I think that's why a lot of people make childhood professions that never really stick. It's not because the gospel doesn't work. It's because they don't really want to be saved. Does that make sense to you? I'll tell you, none of us are perfect. My wife will tell you. She's not perfect. No. <laughs> she'll tell, she'll tell, me, tell you I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. 
And you can't see inside a person's heart. But I believe if you could see inside the heart of a true Christian, that when they do wrong, it grieves them. It saddens them they do wrong. And they confess it to God and ask God to forgive them. But if you look inside the heart of a person and they do wrong and they are are satisfied with it, good with it, plan to do it more and more, there's something wrong inside that person. You know what you need? You don't need a, a new patch. You need a new garment. You need to be born again. You can't fix that. But this is what we do. We come, we come, we come to God as guilty sinners. We come to God knowing that we've broken His law. We come to God that we could never ever deserve or earn salvation. We come to God knowing that if we got what we deserve, we'd be in hell today. But knowing that Jesus Christ hung on the cross and died for every sin that you and I and every person who's ever walked this earth or ever will walk this earth, He died for all of our sins. And that God will forgive us if we'll come to Him and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And maybe today there are people here today. And that's really what you need. You need to be saved. You need to be born again. You ought to come to Christ today. You ought to come to Christ today. And it's even possible that a person could be wrong in their thinking. Maybe they are saved, but they, but they don't really... They just think, I can live in the flesh, and I'll just add a few adjustments and improvements to my life. No, that's not what God's looking for. He wants our whole life. By the way, He deserves it. Amen? Amen?